Amen. So, you know, we've been going, our theme for the year is Strong in Christ. And we've been going through the Gospels, you know, as you, most of you probably know, talking about how we become strong in Christ through what we see in the Gospels. And we're really just breaking it down chapter by chapter. But unfortunately, I only have 15 weeks to preach on the Gospel of John, and there's 22 chapters. So we're going to blitz through a few chapters today, all right? And uh, it's going to be a bit broader than my last few sermons. But I hope that's okay. Um, but what we're going to see, we're going to see that Jesus offered grace, and he also offered truth. And because he offered so much truth that people were not, I don't think they were quite ready for it, they usually misunderstood him. And this is a theme throughout the Gospel of John. And I want to show you guys in John 2, 3, and 4 how people misunderstood Jesus, why that is, and how when we decide to take up the truth that he taught and put our trust in him, we will find renewed strength and become sons and daughters of light. Amen? Okay, so let's turn to John 2. Um, next slide, please. Okay, so I want to talk about this idea of people misunderstanding Jesus. It says... And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. So remember, we talked about how God's abundance of grace and sort of a, a beginning of the messianic age was brought into existence by Jesus turning the water into wine. But the people didn't really understand it, right? They didn't know where it came from. And Next slide, please. Okay, and then here's this part. This is what happens after that. Okay, when the Jewish Passover was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers seated at their tables. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those selling doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So a lot that I could say about this passage because really Jesus is doing something that is hard to believe. Here's a Jew, and the reason they're selling these animals is because they're following the law of sacrificing the animals, right? That's part of the Old Testament. And they're doing that, and Jesus is enraged by it. And there's a, there's a lot that I could talk about that of why and what so bothered him. But he basically says himself, how dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? So I don't want to focus on why he did that. But I want to focus on the next part. Next slide, please. On account of this, the Jews demanded, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. This temple took 46 years to build, the Jews replied, and you are going to raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. Then they believed the scripture in the word that Jesus had spoken. So here we have two examples, right? Where Jesus is teaching, he's doing things, and people just don't understand it. Jesus says, you know, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And to be honest, I'm not so sure I would have understood him. Right? It's like, what do you, which temple? What do you, no, this took 46 years, buddy. Like, are you nuts? <laughs> What's your deal? This is, a, this is not, you can't just rebuild it in three days, right? And Jesus was talking about his own body and his own resurrection, which happened later on, right? 
So Jesus knew things that other people didn't seem to know. Let's look at another example. Next, next slide. Okay, actually, no. We, yeah, I want to talk about this. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap, and he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord, as in days of old and years gone by. So why did they not understand what Jesus was doing? Think about what they asked him. Think about what they wanted from him. They said, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? They wanted a miracle. You know, I, I've had a lot of conversations with people, and I'm not knocking I get why they say these things, because I've thought these things myself. But they'll say, if God is real, why doesn't he just appear before me right now? <laughs> What's the deal? Why won't he do that? And the Jews were kind of asking a similar sign. If you really have authority here, do something to prove it. And Jesus really doesn't. He just doesn't do what they ask, right? He doesn't do it. He just says, hey, listen, I will raise this temple up in three days. If you want a sign, that's the sign you should look for. And they did not know what he meant. But I believe that what Jesus was doing in part when he went to that temple is he was living out this passage. Behold, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. See, the Jews were longing and waiting for the Lord to re-enter the temple with all his glory. Because when it was destroyed, if you remember, the temple was destroyed uh, many, many years before, centuries before, and the Jews had finally rebuilt it. And it's called the second temple period because they had the first temple built by King Solomon, and they have another temple. But the glory of the Lord never entered that second temple. And so they're waiting. They're like, please come and be in our temple because that's what we need. And it didn't happen. But Jesus comes, and he enters that temple a number of times, right? And they don't see it. They don't see that Jesus is living this out. And he refines them. You know, he refines the sons of Levi. He kicks out the silver and the gold. He gets rid of it because that's not what, the, what God's house is for, okay? So they're not seeing in scriptural categories. They're looking for the physical. Okay, let's look at another example. John chapter 3, he says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time to be born? So here's Nicodemus. It says he's a teacher, a Pharisee. And he seems to understand something about Jesus, right? He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a man sent from God. So he, through that whole temple situation, he seemed to grasp something of what Jesus was doing. And then Jesus replies in this sort of obtuse way. He just goes, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And you really wonder what prompted Jesus to say that instead of something else, because Nicodemus didn't ask about that. <laughs> He didn't seem to be worried about that. And this is what happens. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, 
No one enters the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. So Nicodemus did not understand what he meant by born again. He didn't know what that meant. And Jesus says it's water and the Spirit. Flesh is born of flesh, but Spirit is born of the Spirit. Do not be amazed that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this happen? Nicodemus asks. Another translation, how could this be? He seems incredulous. This does not make any sense to me. He's not gathering what Jesus is saying. And he says, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, and yet you people do not accept our testimony. Okay, so here's Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus, which is actually pretty admirable. Not many people do that, right? He comes to Jesus, and he's looking to learn from him, and Jesus basically says, you should know better than you already know. Jesus actually rebukes him right here. It's pretty gentle, but he says, you're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand what I'm saying? The Bible, in Hebrews 6, it says that you should be teachers already, but we have to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You know, there's a time in our spiritual development when we should know better than certain things. And oftentimes I find myself in the position where I'm not there. It's like, dude, you should know better than to act that way. It's like, yeah, I guess I do. I'm just not doing it. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you're supposed to be a teacher. This is elementary. This is really basic. And Nicodemus is amazed. Okay, so again, the people are not understanding him. Okay, next slide, please. Okay, now here comes the Samaritan woman. So Jesus goes to a well. He's thirsty, right? He's tired. And he sits down, and he asks, then there's a woman who comes, and she's a Samaritan. Now, what's amazing about this story is that it says right there, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why is Jesus even in her vicinity, right? Because he's overcoming people's assumptions. And he's saying, it doesn't matter, I'm here. Now he talks to her. He says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You know, he's really not supposed to do that, but he does it anyways. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Okay? She doesn't understand what he's saying. Now, this has happened in every single chapter, repeatedly. People just don't understand him. And so I want to talk about why this is. Why do they fail to understand Jesus? You know, we had the wine. The people didn't know where the wine came from. We had the temple. The Jews were talking about a building, and Jesus was talking about his body. We had Nicodemus, and he said, how can this happen? And Jesus rebukes him. You should understand this. And then we have uh, the Samaritan woman. She's like, give me the water. I'm really thirsty, and I don't want to come to the well anymore. Right? And so none of them understand what Jesus is saying. So what is at the root of this misunderstanding? Go to the next slide, please. Okay, so actually there's one more group that doesn't understand Jesus. Sorry, I forgot about these guys. 
Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? <laughs> you can imagine that question, right? What do you want? Like, please go away. This is annoying, right? <laughs> or, Jesus, or at least asking Jesus, like, so what's going on? I don't understand. But they're just like, all right, we're just going to stand here like weirdos and just watch what's happening, right? So that's what they do. They're just standing there. And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So what happened was that Jesus told her, he said to her, hey, go bring your husband and come back, and we'll talk some more. And she goes, I have no husband. And he goes, I know, you've had four husbands. <laughs> he doesn't even know this woman. He's like, you've had four husbands, and the man you now live with is not your husband. How does Jesus know that about her? I mean, that is just unbelievable. You know, sometimes I, I kid myself. I'm like, I bet I could figure out what this guy's all about right now. I'm looking at Eli back there. I'm like, this guy, he probably thinks he's good at basketball. Oh, so, just kidding. He is good. But I'm just let, you know, I think I got people figured out, but I don't. But Jesus hits it right on the head. He's like, yeah, you had four husbands. Now you don't have one because it's not worth your time anymore. You just live with the guy instead. You know, it's not a new phenomenon, by the way cohabiting, whatever you want to call it. It's not a new phenomenon. It's, people did it back in the day. They do it now. It just is what it is. But they, so, okay, so here's the disciples. They're like, I don't know what's going on here. I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to stand here like a weirdo. Okay, and then the woman leaves, and the disciples finally speak. They said, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? It sounds like a conversation my wife and I have. Like, I'm so hungry. And she's like, well, I already made food. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true. I should just eat that, right? It's like I'm obsessed with food. The disciples are thinking about food. They're all in the physical. And Jesus is talking about something. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Next slide, please. Okay, so the disciples truly do not understand Jesus again. And Jesus says, after that, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Okay, so we have, a group, we, have a, we have a bunch of different people here, and none of them understand Jesus. You know, we have people who are quite religious. We have Nicodemus, a teacher. Essentially, well, we would say he's got, he's got a Ph.D., right? He's a professor. He's, he's someone who has knowledge. He doesn't understand Jesus. We've got regular people who are just hanging out in the temple. They don't understand Jesus, but they're religious, right? They're in the temple. We've got, we got people who are following Jesus and want to learn from him, and they don't understand him. And we've got Samaritans who the Jews considered as less than, and they also don't really understand Jesus. Although, ironically, in these stories, the Samaritans understand Jesus the best. Right? It's like, those are the people that shouldn't get what's going on, but they seem to get it the best. Isn't that often true in our world? Right? The people who claim to be wise, they just aren't. They just get it wrong. And it's not to say that, you know, everybody who studies and has knowledge is wrong. It's to say that it has to do with your state of your heart. See, the Jews were not ready to receive what Jesus was saying, at least in part because of what Jesus said here in Matthew 5, 8. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What's the implication? What's the opposite? If you're not pure in heart, you will not see God. And what does pure in heart really mean? I believe it means free from distraction, free from things that would cloud your vision. You know, I think about the things that, that really get people all worked up, right, in their lives. I mean, in my life, 
I get really, just this morning, I got worked up about finances out of the blue, like for no reason. <laughs> just, I was like, Ivy, listen, here's the deal. Did you deposit that check? What's going on with that check? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what? I'm just getting worked up right now. And I wasn't seeing the truth that you can just deposit a check in a couple hours, like it's no big deal. <laughs> I was freaking out. People get all worked up about stuff that doesn't matter, and it clouds their vision. You know, purity of heart has to do with not being attached to the things of this world. See, what, what caused the misunderstanding in almost every case was that the people that Jesus was talking to were thinking on a physical level. That's what they were seeing, right? The woman said, I want water. The disciples are thinking about bread. Everybody's all on the wrong page. They're thinking about the physical. And they couldn't see the spiritual aspect that Jesus was talking about. And so the question is, what do you think about more often? The spiritual or the physical? Do you think it's weird when people talk about the age to come and the resurrection and heaven? Do you find that off-putting? Because to be frank, the opposite should be true. When you hear about heaven, you should think, yeah, that really is important. I should think about that more. And the problem is that we're caught up in the things of this world. So there's a few other reasons why the people did not understand him. Can you go to the next slide, please? So they wanted signs, right? They wanted miracles. And there was something about that that prevented them, because Jesus did a lot of miracles. Why do they keep asking for more? Oh, you only healed one sick guy. That's not good enough. Give me five more. You know, it's like push-ups with my basketball coach. Like, give me 10 more. It's like, oh, man, I just did 40, and I can barely do 20. It's like Jesus is doing all these miracles, and people just do not understand him. And it's like not good enough for them. Give me some more. Give me more. Why? Because they're stuck on the things of this world. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, and they wanted to make him king, it had nothing to do with the fact that Jesus was a very spiritual and righteous man. It's because they gave him bread. And that's all they really cared about. They're like, well, if he gives us bread, I guess he should be king. Right? And so people are stuck in the physical. And I believe this, 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 it fits really well with this idea. Of, have you ever heard of functional fixedness? It's an idea in psychology. So, for example, like, what is this Bible for? What could I use it for? I want to hear from you guys. What could I use this for? To read it, right? Anything else? Paperweight, okay. We're still in the realm of paper and books, right? There's actually a lot of things I could use this for. I could, I mean, I'm not going to do this. Play catch. What did you say, Ivy? A weapon, yes. I could throw it at you. I'm not going to. There are so many uses for this Bible. It's really only intended for one, to read it. But there's so many uses for it. The same thing happens with things like a hammer, right? Hammers for nails. There's a lot of things you could do with a hammer if you thought about it. But we get fixated on hammer is for hammering. You know, like a screwdriver is for screwing. That's just what we, we're fixated. And this is just a part of our psychology. So when we're fixated on the physical, what do we think? We think life is for food. Life is for pleasure. Life is for money. These are things that the world tells us we should be fixated on. And it becomes really hard to get outside of that realm. Or how about this one? Money is for me. I earned it. But what if money is actually for other people? <laughs> right? These are the things that Jesus is, in a way, Jesus is bringing to people a completely different way of thinking. And that's why they're not getting it. Because they're over here. We talked about this last time I preached on John, right? People are living over here. And Jesus is talking from over here.
hey, come join me. And people just don't get it. And, and I believe this also goes back to the type of testimony that they wanted. Jesus said, I have testimony. So they're like, hey, give us a sign. Give us testimony. Tell us why we should believe you. Jesus says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. So Jesus, I think part of what he's talking about, it's not just like I do good deeds. There's lots of people that do good deeds. But Jesus lived out the Old Testament scriptures in a way that was incomparable. He was the one who came to the temple. The Lord that you seek will suddenly come to his temple. You know, he was the one that opened the eyes of the blind and set free the poor. And that's all from the Old Testament. And that's what they were supposed to be looking for, but instead they wanted signs and witnesses and all this testimony, right? Next slide, please. I believe we talked about this last time as well, but this is also part of why they did not understand Jesus. Because like I said, they were over here. They had this viewpoint. In the Jewish mind, there was the present evil age. Not a good place to be, right? There's a lot of suffering in the world. We don't want to be in that place. So we're waiting for God to come and fix it. And when he comes, it will be all fixed, and there'll be no more problems, and we'll be good to go. And what Jesus viewed it as, next slide, was that there's the evil age, and that's very true. And there's the age to come. That's the place we want to be. But right now, I'm bringing it to you. You don't have to wait for it. I'm bringing it to you. All the righteousness and goodness and abundance and plenty that is going to be in that age, I can bring it right now. But the problem is, again, their minds are fixated on the physical. They thought, well, the age to come, that means bread and wine. And Jesus is like, no, spiritual riches and blessing. And in the age to come, eternal life. Right? So those things will come, but not just yet. Not just yet, because it says in Acts 14, it says this, verse 22, that they strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith because we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. See, the disciples finally understood it later on. They were like, okay, yes, we're in this evil age, and there's also this, this wave of goodness coming from God right now. But if we want to get to the end, we have to endure many hardships. The evil age is not finished just yet. We're still in it. But that age to come is available to us. And so all of this was causing them to not understand they just did not understand Jesus because Jesus was talking on one level and they were on another. And it's not necessarily because they were, like, stupid. And it's not necessarily just because Jesus was so much smarter than them. It's because of the state of their hearts. It's because wherever they were at, they were looking for all the wrong things. And they found what Jesus is doing to not be good enough. Okay, so I want to talk about three points here. What does this mean for us? First is that we need to strive to perceive the truth. A lot of times that means abandoning our assumptions. I have a lot of assumptions I carry around, right? Everybody does. And what those do is they force you to think a certain way. You have to abandon those if you want to see something different. Right? When, when people look at me, they often go, that's a ginger. <laughs> well, it's not inaccurate. Is that all I am? Of course not. <laughs> and they'll say, you know, you don't have a soul. And I'm like, ouch, okay. <laughs> The point is they're making assumptions. Maybe I do have a soul. Did you ever ask? I don't know. Maybe a person without a soul would lie about it. I don't know. The point is that assumptions color everything that we do. And the Jews were making assumptions. And the Samaritans were making assumptions. And the disciples were making assumptions. You know, just because you want to follow Jesus does not mean you're free of assumptions. It does not mean you always see the truth. 
And we see that in the lives of the disciples. You know, if you, if you don't currently want to follow Jesus, I want to say this. Jesus said you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Now, I'm not saying that you have to become a Christian in order to understand, but I do believe you have to seek wholeheartedly in order to be born again and truly understand on a deeper level. There are so many things before I started reading the Bible. See, I became a Christian when I was 16. I started reading every day because I just wanted to learn. And there are so many things that Jesus would say that I just, at the time, I just did not understand. You know, Jesus would say, Let those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, if, if you attack a guy, he might kill you. That's how it goes. But that's not really what Jesus meant. Jesus was talking about a way of life that included violence. And he said, violence always begets violence. I didn't understand that. Even after I got baptized, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't like that teaching. Let's just shelve that. I'll think about that later. Because the life that Jesus is offering is so contrary to what the world tells us. So contrary that it's hard for us to grasp. And we have to keep seeking it and pursuing it with all our heart. And I'm sure there are many things like that still in my life that I don't even realize, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be thinking that way. But this isn't because Jesus' teachings are really confusing. It's because of our own biases, you know, our discomfort. I felt really uncomfortable with the idea that I shouldn't take my, ju- my vengeance on people that wronged me. It just made me uncomfortable. Like, no, that's what you're supposed to do. Dude pops you in the nose, you pop him back. It's just what you do. No, I never did that. <laughs> I didn't, I don't know, I'm kind of big. I never wanted to hurt people, but actually sometimes I did. I had anger issues. But the thing is, like, the thing is that I was operating with a whole different worldview. And it just wasn't working with what Jesus was saying. So I got uncomfortable. I don't know how to deal with that. I'll just step back. That's too hard. And, and it wasn't a difficult teaching. It was just hard to do. It's easy to understand, hard to do. All right? And so sometimes our fear of failure can hold us back. Okay, I don't want to pursue that. That's a high calling. I'd rather take the easy road. You know, some of those people I've been talking to, do you want to make a difference in the world? I have a hard time believing they truly don't. It just sounds way more challenging than what they're already doing. And so they're like, no, I don't want to do that. That's the hard road. I want the easy road. And so I want to, I want to challenge you guys to, to persist in pursuing knowledge of the truth. Amen? You know, once, once we have it, we need a deep relationship with Jesus. I was recently forced to think about my own faith because a, a good brother, Tim Bernicke, he emailed me some feedback from my previous sermon, and he said, Hey, you seem to love apologetics, which is the defense of the faith based on history, you know, science, whatever, the scriptures. And, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I do love it. But then I was like, wait a minute, why do I love it? Like, why do I like that so much? Why do I, why do I so badly want to know all the answers to all the questions about the trustworthiness of the Bible or whether or not there was an exodus from Egypt historically? You know, what do historians think about that? And I truly believe those things happen. And, and I have reasons. I'm not going to get into them. But the thing is that, why do I care so much? Well, it's because I wrestle with doubt in my life all the time. You know, when I was younger, it was doubt about whether or not God existed. And I've come to a place where I'm like, that is self-evident. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that there is a God. That's, that's how I would write that. <laughs> there is a God. And I, I believe that's self-evident now. But there was a time when I didn't, when I wrestled with it on a daily basis. You know, there was a time when I wasn't sure if I wanted to follow Jesus, like at all. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't know. That sounds really hard. And now I know that I want to follow him. 
And it's more so the things that come up that are, that are still a sticking point, right? Where I'm like, ah, I'm not sure I want to do that. I mean, I'll follow him, but not, I don't know about that one. That teaching is tough. Right? So I still have those things. But lately, the big thing that's been plaguing me is that I've had some doubts about myself. I've had doubts about my work in the ministry and whether or not it's what God wants me to do. And the thing is that I believe that he does, but I wrestle with doubt. It's like, man, I, I believe this. And then there's a little voice like, maybe you don't. <laughs> maybe you don't believe that. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe. No, I do believe that. Stop it. <laughs> there's just this voice all the time in my head. or Pretty much anything I say, there's a little voice that says, yeah, that's probably wrong. You're dumb. Like, don't even stop it, you know? And I'll be like, and so I, you know, a lot of times, guys, I come across really confident. Not to say I'm not. Sometimes I am. But a lot of times I have a lot of doubt, too. And my confidence can be a little bit of a show, right? I feel very confident. That's the facts. And then it's like, little voice, maybe it's not the facts. Oh, man. <laughs> and there I just told him I'm confident. <laughs> so I've been wrestling with doubt. And it, it really doesn't feel good, you know? And I'm, I actually, I think I'm usually happy, but there's a couple times throughout the week where I have a really hard time with my calling and what I'm supposed to do and whether or not I'm doing it right. Am I doing this well, God? I don't know. Sometimes I'll feel like I heard the voice of God. I'll be praying. And then immediately I'll say to myself, that wasn't the voice of God, that was just you. Like, oh, man, I think it was. No, how do I know? It's a hard one. I believe we go back to the Scripture and we can discern the truth. You know, Jesus was living out the Scripture. And that's why people didn't understand him, but it's also why he was teaching the truth. Because he was living that out. And so I want to I encourage you guys, if you're having any doubts, that's actually, I think that's really normal. And it's okay to share that. You know, I wrestled for a while, like, I wasn't sure what I was feeling, and I realized it was a lot of doubt and fear and stuff like that. And I shared it the other day with some of the brothers. And I immediately felt like, wow, actually a lot of my doubts don't matter anymore. <laughs> no big deal, get rid of that, let's move on. But there's a lot, they're still there, and I'm still talking with some of the brothers about how to deal with that and what to do going forward. So I want to encourage you guys, if you have those doubts about whether or not God exists or about what he's calling you to do, just be open about it. Because it's really, it's, it's not a reason to condemn. It's not a reason for us to condemn because I have the same thing. And Jesus strengthens me, though. When I pursue the truth, he strengthens me in certain convictions. That's why I don't doubt God's existence anymore. Jesus has strengthened me. That one's gone. Let's deal with the next one, right? And so there's been incredible growth in my life, and I'm grateful for that. Um, so I want to talk about proclaiming this truth. You know, so we want to pursue it, we want to persist in it, and we want to proclaim it, because this is what he says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassingly great power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on all sides, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You know, the way Paul described that, that's really how I've been feeling. Struck down, but not destroyed. And Paul's persistence to either way I will proclaim 
I will proclaim the glory of God. It's intended to show love to others. You know, there are many people in the world, I would say most of them, who when Jesus speaks, they don't understand a word he says. Maybe they don't want to, or maybe they haven't been taught. But the truth is they don't understand because they're stuck right here. You know, they think that this life and everything it has to offer is all that there is. And so when you say, hey, you know, give up everything and follow Jesus, they say, well, that's crazy and you're weird because this is all I have and there's nothing over there. And I'm like, no, come over here. There's some great stuff. And they're like, no, I don't know. You're not. You're wrong. Right? There's nothing over there. You're just making that up in your own head. And then, and then I'm stuck here like maybe I am making it up in my head. But the point is that the God of this age, it's a reference to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see. So they cannot see. But God shines through us. And not only through us, through the scriptures and through other means, but God shines through us so that when we actually act like this is real, people see that. And they, they wonder why. You know, you see people... I'm going to build up uh, a brother, Reggie Hearn. He, he sacrificed a lot to go to Malawi, Africa and coach basketball. Opportunity to potentially play for Team USA, if I recall correctly. Now, if you're a basketball player, Team USA is the dream. Like, that's what we want to do. I mean, those guys are the best. And that's a prestigious company. Nobody gets, not, not just anybody gets on Team USA. He gave up that opportunity to go serve people in Africa. And you think about it, that doesn't make any sense. If you're over here, it really doesn't make any sense. You just sacrifice that for a two-week basketball camp. And maybe I could see it if you were going to save a million lives. You didn't do that, so what was the point? Right? Because people, when you're stuck here, the things that people over there do just don't make any sense, but they get you to think. They get you to wonder, well, how do I get over there? Because that's different. And I want to say this. I was at midweek on Wednesday. I was absolutely blown away by the fellowship of the brothers. And I was thinking to myself, you know, these are incredible men. And I feel blessed just to be in their presence. You know, I was wondering, how much money would it take to get me to want to leave that? <laughs> I was wondering that. I don't know why. I was like, a million dollars? Nah, that doesn't sound worth it. You know, 10 billion? Eh, maybe not. 50 billion? And I was honestly like, yeah, I'd be tempted, but it's not worth it. Because what's going to happen to my 50 billion when I'm gone? It's going to be completely useless to me. <laughs> Literally garbage. You know, Rockefeller, $400 billion. Doesn't matter at all now. $400 billion. Doesn't matter at all. You know what probably matters more? He used to go to churches, sit in the back, and donate a million dollars out of nowhere. <laughs> that probably matters a lot more than whether or not he kept all that. Now, I don't know what his life was like, but I'm just saying that type of riches means nothing compared to the fellowship that we have, compared to being surrounded ourselves with people who truly want to love and serve others and to serve God. It's nothing. And so we proclaim that truth. We proclaim the truth that's in Jesus. And by so doing, we help others to step into a new life, a life that's full of blessings that are hard to understand when you're over there. But once you enter it, you're like, yeah, I couldn't trade this for the world. I wouldn't trade this for anything. And so I want to encourage you guys. I'm going to close out here. I want to encourage you guys that if you have not become a disciple of Jesus, study the Bible with someone. You know, because you never know what you might see that you didn't see before. I've met guys on campus who say, I've read the Bible before. And I said, but have you really read it? Capital R. Have you read it? <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, 
Your eyes are closed. I hope that you'll see someday. I hope that you'll be a little bit more like me, which is perplexed and struck down, because that's where I want everyone to be. <laughs> Not actually. Okay, I'm sorry. But <laughs> if that's what it takes to follow Jesus, then yes, that's what I want. You know, if you do follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to have a deep walk with him. That's how the disciples came to understand Jesus later on, because they were with him. They spent time with him. They devoted themselves to understanding him because they didn't at first. They're like, okay, I'll, I'll stay with you, Jesus. And then it was after the resurrection when they finally, stuff started to click, right? They're like, okay, I understand what he was about. I can go tell others about that. So persist in that truth and pursue him wholeheartedly. And lastly, I want to encourage you, if you do have that relationship with Jesus, tell others about it. Tell others about it because that's what they need. They think they need all this stuff over here, but this is what they need. Amen? And don't let yourself be caught in assumptions, in a worldview that doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. Let your assumptions go away. Hey, you know, this life is all there is. I need money. I need a better job. I need this. I need that. And ask yourself, what would Jesus think about this situation? Or what would Jesus think about my thoughts? That's something I ask myself often. Amen? So if we do this, I truly believe that we can become and, and continue as children of light. And we will be blessed and made strong in Christ. Amen?